Hey, everybody. Welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. Special Throwback Thursday episode for you this week. And ooh-wee, is it a good one. It got spicy on stage for the Weed on Wheels panel at New West Summit last month. Uh, I don't even need to preface it that much. It's a great conversation. We talk about the full life cycle of a delivery and what's required to make that delivery great. Ease, Meadow, Speedweed, Pot Valet. Can't wait for you guys to hear them argue. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. If you want to listen to and watch the rest of the talks from New West Summit, there's more than a hundred speakers uh, from from the conference. Uh, you can just click on the link below that we have uh, in the subject line. I think it's less than two hundred dollars, like one ninety seven or something like that. Which for all that information and knowledge that you're going to get out and, and entertainment for less than two hundred dollars, uh, click that link below and buy the rest of the talks. What's up, everybody? Thanks for being here. Delivery is a topic that I really like talking about. Um, it's something that is so crucial to the cannabis industry, I believe. There's a lot of people that can't get out there, can't go to dispensaries, or in my case, just don't want to. Um, you know, show up at your office, and a lot of these companies that we have here today help you exactly with that. Um, but why am I here? Why, why am I relevant? I do a couple web shows, one called Investing in Cannabis, which is all about early stage investing in the cannabis industry. The second one is called Infused. That's a documentary series all about how cannabis gets normalized into life. Um, maybe more relevantly than that, I also am a part of a startup called OnFleet, which is a go-to logistics platform for many, many dispensaries uh, in California, as well as in a couple other states now. We're growing a little bit. Um, but I'm going to do my best to uh, maintain my editorial credibility here. Full disclosure, uh, Hua and, and Meadow and OnFleet have a pretty good partnership, but we're going to do our best to remain uh, as... Uh, objective as possible. Yeah, I'm objective. You, you look objective. Yeah, All right, let's get started. I'm going to have you guys just introduce yourself. So start with your name and your company and your competitive advantage. Let's go, Hua. Okay. Uh, my name is David Hua. People call me Hua. Uh, our company is called Meadow. We build software in the industry. We f primarily focus on being an all-in-one solution. So we start from delivery and we do point-of-sale solutions as well for brick and mortars. Um, our competitive advantage, uh, that's a tough one. I, I think, um, I don't know, I think we're really uh, aware of our values. I would say, um, you know, we pride ourselves on community, on advocacy, on honoring the people that came before us. Uh, that gives us a lot of appreciation for the opportunity that we have today and uh, making sure that we're building something that all of us can enjoy tomorrow. Um, yeah. My name is Zachary Brown. I'm the president of operations for Pot Valet. Uh, we feel like we're the highest rated marijuana delivery service in the country. We currently have 157 five-star reviews. Uh, we operate in over 50 different cities throughout California. Uh, what we do is we connect uh, dispensaries with patients and essentially we charge a marketing fee for that. Um, We've been operating for three years now, and uh, like I said, we have 50 different cities. Uh, within this next week, I think we will have over 80 as we'll be launching three new locations. Hi, I'm AJ Gentile. I'm one of the co-founders of Speedweed, which is one of the largest, uh, longest running, most compliant delivery services in California. Our competitive advantage, I would say, is probably consistent consumer experience. People know us, people like us, and uh, when you order from Speedweed, it's always a good time. 
Uh, so my name is Jim Patterson. I'm the CEO of Ease. Um, similar to everyone else up here, we're, uh, we're a technology platform that connects dispensaries to, to their customers. Um, I think how we're a little bit different is that we really focus on data. Um, you know, being a, a really tech-focused company, um, we use that data to really help drive uh, product selection, the user experience, so in particular around which brands um, that we're gonna, you know, we work with the dispensaries to carry on our platform. We're constantly using that data, sending it down to them so that they, they can refine the product selection um, that they offer. All right, before we get into sort of the meat of it, I just want to take a little poll and see who we have in the audience here. Uh, raise your hand if you're an entrepreneur. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Okay, there we go. How about an investor? Okay, and how about you just love cannabis and you just came here to check it out? And <laughs> Good stuff. All right, that'll help us frame the conversation a little bit here. Um, all right, I want to start with marketing. If you look around the Bay Area uh, and other locations, but specifically the Bay Area, there are delivery services everywhere on billboards, on buses, there are so many options, I couldn't even name all the options, and this is what I do for a living. So, uh, the first question is, how do you acquire new customers? How do, how do you think about that? What channels have worked? What channels haven't worked? Let's start reverse, let's start with Jim down there first. Um, so yeah, so for us, we also uh, have billboards, bus ads. Um, a lot of that for us is new, the out-of-home advertising. Uh, for us, our primary channel is word of mouth. So, you know, the way we think about it is we really focus on um, delivering a really great customer experience. So things around, um, you know, price, uh, deals, things like that. And, you know, just get an experience that really has a wow factor for people so that they tell their friends about it. You know, I do feel, with, especially with this industry, for a lot of people coming into it, the way they get into it is through a recommendation from a friend. So we really focus on kind of facilitating that word of mouth spread. Got it. And, and just to dig in a little bit there, Ease is notorious sort of for their deals and texts and stuff like that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, and there's one now. Hold on. <laughs> um, obviously, that's been money. successful. Uh, would you say that's among the most successful channels so far? Um, I mean, yeah, I think people like um, getting great products at great prices. So, you know, as I said, one of the things we do is work directly with a lot of the brands that we have on our platform. And, you know, uh, most of the deals that we run are actually um, campaigns created by the brands themselves. So that's actually how we're able to do a lot of those deals. We, um, sort of as a technology platform, aren't funding those deals. We're working with a lot of brands. So, for example, some new brands that want to break into the market. They see, you know, working with a company like Ease to be able to um, get on uh, essentially the internet, which gets them available in all the cities we're active in, and then using a deal to really stand out. You know, you look at a category, for example, like vaporizer cartridges. Very competitive category, um, been around a while. There's a lot of noise in that category. So, you know, what these people want is they want people to try it. So maybe they'll do a buy one, get one free, a 50% off, um, and that'll get people to try their product. And then it has, you know, it has to stand on the quality of itself. So some brands are really successful because they have a great product. People continue using it. Sometimes it's just a flash in the pan. You know, they sell through a bunch of product on a promo and then um, people don't come back. But we're always giving that data back to them so that they can kind of refine their product, refine their deals. Got it. AJ, same question. Um, I tease Jim, but we probably set out two texts a week ourselves. Uh, we're using sort of the same formula. Let the, uh, let the brands drive that. If they have a new product, then we'll, we'll do a blast for them. Let them pay for that. Um, as far as marketing is concerned, we don't do a lot of weed maps, Yelps, review sites. We've gotten away from that. Um, there is a lot of nefarious activity on those sites. And uh, myself, my colleagues have, have suffered 
some some difficult reviews, some uh, some inappropriate, some some unfair reviews, some dishonest ones. So our marketing is primarily through word of mouth, through online media, and uh, we have an early mover advantage in that we have a nice celebrity client clientele where guys like Joe Rogan will support us and, and tweet about us, and that kind of makes the phones get hot. Um, but otherwise, traditional marketing, no. And, and there are very few avenues for us to explore. We had billboards in, in, in LA you know, years ago that worked really well, but it was, it was kind of a dangerous move back then. So you both said word of mouth. Before I go on, how do you prove that? Are we talking about referral codes here? I mean, how do you know that word of mouth is, is one of your best growth gems? Um, yeah, referral codes is definitely one. So, you know, like a lot of services, we offer a referral program. If you refer a friend, um, you get credit, they get credit. Um, and then also just through surveys. So, you know, when a user signs up, they eventually get a survey asking them how they heard about us. So that's how we sort of measure attribution between out of home, word of mouth, events, um, you know, all the various channels that we have. Got it. Good answer. Uh, Zach, go ahead. How do you think about marketing? Essentially, uh, we do a lot of promotional um, ads on, let's say, Newswire and such, and we'll go ahead and try and attain customers through doing that. Um, we'll also uh, do promotions on, um, let's say, uh, Twitter, what may have you, going ahead and uh, explaining different promotions we have going on. In order to attain uh, current customers and to keep uh, current customers essentially coming back to us, we offer a $10 discount um, on your next order if you order within seven days. So as you can imagine, almost everybody orders with us every seven days to keep the $10 discount going. That's a great idea. Yeah. Got it. Who up? Your turn. Uh, just can I do a quick survey? By show of hands, who's heard of Meadow before? Wow. Thank you. Was that nice? Did it feel good? <laughs> yeah, it really did. Okay. No, is, no is marketing necessary. Be? Is that how we're going to do it? I just wanted to know. All right. I just wanted to know. Okay. Um, well, word of mouth is, is definitely the biggest one for us. We don't have a marketing budget. We're actually quite lean. Um, there's a team of 10 of us, and so we just focus on building a, a really good product. Uh, one thing that has worked well, which is hard to scale, uh, press. So finding avenues where you can talk with journalists and share either your story or the story of your partners or the patients, um, that's worked really well. Sometimes around product launches, that's also pretty good. So I think press is something you guys could focus on. There's not too many channels for us uh, in, in this industry. So finding ways to share that story, because everyone's trying to write about it. Um, and if you can find some sort of unique avenue that people can, can grab onto, that's good. Uh, another thing we do, which is a little bit more unique, uh, I, I send out a personal email to everybody that orders. Um, you know, it's that's automated, though. Yeah, it is. Uh, but <laughs> just so we're clear, just so we're clear. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's impossible to do it. Uh, it's timed and everything. But every response comes directly into my inbox, uh, and so I answer every single one. Um, and it's a really great opportunity as you guys build your products to stay really close to the people that are using it. And so uh, by reading every word, you often find out where people are hearing from it. Oftentimes they are very open about where they're hearing from it or are so excited that you reply that they tell more people about it. Uh, so there's things like that where you don't necessarily spend money, but actually gives you more insight into your product without having to um, you know, do extra groundwork. So the cannabis industry increasingly is segmented. So there's not just stoners on their couch today, there's all different types of categories. Uh, and I wonder when you think about marketing uh, more broadly, um, what's your ideal customer? I mean, who are you going after? Who are you targeting? We'll start this way again, you can start. Yeah, um, 
anybody that's looking for good cannabis. <laughs> I mean, Not this exactly whole, I mean, the answer this I is like for. the DMV. Everyone kind of smokes. And, um, you know, our, our ideal customer is someone that cares about a little bit more attention and selection. Um, so the dispensaries that we work with, they have a, a pretty wide variety of, of choices. Um, yeah, and I think design. You know, people like to look at things that are pretty and it's a good UI and good UX. Got it. Zach? I would think the broad base of uh, California would be our target audience. Um, we certainly uh, offer fantastic products. That's why our reviews stay five stars for all uh, 30 of our different locations. So essentially, um, I, I think uh, retention and um, uh, your products being essentially fantastic is, is key to uh, essentially having a fantastic cannabis business. Since we, we have a lot of years of data, and what we learned after crunching that data is about 40% of our patient base is female. And 20 to 25% of our patient base is over 55. So we spend a lot of energy in marketing toward, toward women, professional women, toward the senior set. Uh, these are the people who have the money in the household, and those, they make great customers, great clients. Uh, that's kind of who we target. We accept. I want to say we accept everybody. That's not true. We accept one out of every three applicants. But we tend to target affluent women and people who are a little older. Got it. Yeah, um, yeah for us, it's, it's definitely shifting. I think, um, obviously, going into recreational sales next year, we're certainly changing who our target customer is. So right now, you know, it's people who have sort of already made the decision um, because they were the ones that went and proactively went and got a medical recommendation. So when you think about, well, the, the market that's coming next year are really people who didn't do that, right? And really in California, it's, it's, it's not a big hurdle to get um, a medical recommendation. And so, you know, you gotta have to think the, the type of people who that was too much, that was too much friction for them. So, you know, one of the things we're always thinking about is, well, how do we do, reduce the friction of coming into the market? So, you know, we're really starting to target um, users for us that actually don't use cannabis at all. Um, so that, you know, when you think about some of our marketing campaigns, um, you know, right now it's very focused on deals, best deals, fast delivery. You know, that's really just like, kind of like, you know, use us, don't use the other guy. But it's really targeted for people who are already in the market. Um, next year, we're really gonna be shifting our messaging um, and everything to be really targeting people, um, and it's really a message will be about try cannabis, right? Rather than try ease or try this specific service or try this specific dispensary. It's really gonna try to take a much broader message um, because, you know, if I think for a lot of people, if they, once they learn that, you know, cannabis can be this wellness product that fits into everyone's lifestyle. And, you know, when they, when they think about, well, I, you know, they're like, I don't want to smoke, but then people don't know. Well, you can actually take it as a pill um, or you can take it as a patch um, or a drink. And so it's really just about educating, um, <clears throat> you know, that, that new consumer that it's not what you think, right? It's not what you had in high school or college. It's this completely different product um, that really is about wellness. And my personal opinion is that wellness will be the thing that brings cannabis mainstream. Like people really going beyond this as being sort of a drug that you get high on, but really this wellness product um, that can enhance really everyone's life. There's, you know, there's very few people that I would imagine that don't have some sort of stress, insomnia, pain, you know, all of the things that we know cannabis is really helpful for. So it's simply a matter of just letting people know that this, you know, this is the thing that can help you with those things. Is there any concern there that you're sort of alienating the old school consumer, right? That just, just by targeting kind of the new, new age cannabis consumer that you're sort of leaving some people behind? I mean, it's definitely a concern, um, you know, be, but when you, when you think about just from a marketing perspective, the, the current market is a 
fraction of the big market, right? So you could say, okay, it could be a business decision that we're going to forego that market and go after the larger market. Now, you know, we do, we don't want to do that. We want to bring everyone along. Um, and I think there's different ways to, to target that. Um, there's certainly things that we'll be doing next year that, that really speak to that more heritage market, um, even though we'll be taking our main company in this more wellness mainstream direction. You know, we'll, we'll still have some of those, um, you know, some of those products that, that speak to that um, existing market. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so once you attract folks, um, what's kind of the customer experience? Take me through what's important just in the first 30 seconds that they're on all of your websites. You know, menuing, pictures. What do you find that, that works really well? And we'll start back at Hulu. I thought you were going to do the whole reverse thing. I try um, to mix it up, you know, so you don't know. When, yeah, yeah I, I totally get it. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, a lot of the focus right now in the conversation has been on us and the B2C side. Um, but a lot of our focus has been on our B2B. And, you know, where we uh, shine are, uh, are through our partners. And, you know, as I look around the room, there are a handful of partners here that use our platform that do the product selection, that cater to the audience that they know. Uh, so it's our job to, to focus on building the tools for them to see what's going on. Uh, so if you're in San Francisco or you use Herb, uh, if you're in Oakland, um, ProperRx, uh, you got Kraft, you got all of these different um, delivery services that are providing value to their selection uh, by knowing who the, their patients are. Um, so we provide a, a unique ordering experience where you, you know, add the items to a cart, you get validated, and then you're, you're in. Um, and by working with OnFleet, uh, we have a, a tight integration where uh, the drivers are alerting the uh, patients automatically through geofencing. Uh, that data is passed back into the platform so they know, uh, the dispatcher knows where they are and what's going on. Um, they can evaluate the routes, their zip codes, their uh, orders, or where they're going. Um, and patients seem to like that a lot. Yep. So we have a very similar platform to what he just discussed, but we actually built it ourselves. Um, essentially, I think it's integral to um, go ahead and talk to the customer right when they get on the website. We have a messaging service that essentially the moment the customer hits our website, they're able to go ahead and ask a couple of questions. Um, where they're located, what's available, these are general questions that come up and we find it's integral to the experience for the customer uh, to get these questions answered to find out where medication and what medication is possibly available to them as many of our different locations carry different products, have different promotions, what may have you. I guess maybe our approach is a little different than these other guys because we're, we're not a platform. We, we, are, the, we are the service. Um, so, so I think essentially my company could partner with any of these gentlemen. And maybe we should, I don't know. <laughs> we'll take it. Might, might be a little easier. Um, but we focus on uh, a good customer experience on, on the web, that's, that's my background is technology. That's kind of one of the pieces of luck that, that got me on this stage was having a tech background. Um, so I know how to build those experiences for the customer and how, how to streamline those. Time spent on, on site, Speedweed consistently ranks among the highest in the industry along with High Times and Leafly as highest time on site. And that's because we're providing content as well as the menu. Now. Of course, we're here to make money, so we want to get you to check out in three clicks or less. On mobile, it's two clicks or less. But still, we're trying to put content out there. We aggregate content from some of our partners like High Times. We produce our own content. 
and try to give visitors a gift, a reason to visit Speedweed, even if you're not shopping that day. Um, yeah, so you know our experience is very similar. It's you know you select your products, you add them to your cart, you check out. You know you'll get text messages along the way as the driver's approaching. Um, something we did that was I think a little different that it was kind of an early bet is um, you know we really wanted to actually take the photography of products in house. Um, so you know one thing that we saw out there was you know a lot of there was a lot of inconsistencies in sort of how you present flour or how you present vaporizer carts and you know when you're accepting those products directly from the manufacturer you're going to have inconsistencies. Um, so one thing we did that I think has been really helpful in getting people comfortable is you know taking those that photography so you can really showcase each product um, in a very you know in a in a way that showcases the product but also is consistent between them and I do think that gives users a lot of comfort when they you know because I you know I think for a lot of people their first time shopping for marijuana online might be a little bit scary, right? They've never done anything like that before. They're not positive that it's legal. They don't really know what they're doing. So as much as you can make your service uh, consistent with other things that they use, so for most people, they've gotten food delivered to their house, right? They've used DoorDash, Uber Eats, Postmates. Um, so I think, you know, making your service consistent with that, just from a sort of mental hurdle for people, um, is really valuable. And that's just, that goes down to a lot of design, um, photography, copy, education, those things. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up photography. None of your services, of course, but there are a lot of menus out there with very shitty photos. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, glad they're out and that's how <laughs> that's people buy shit. weed, you know? I mean, that's what they're looking at, the little description or whatever. What's important in photography? I mean, how do you, you know, photograph weed well? Macro lenses. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, I mean, we actually have two pro photographers on staff in-house, um, professionals, and I mean, that's what they do. So that's one step is, you know, hiring professional people to do it. Um, yeah, I mean, different, again, different products have different things. I think for a lot of people, they might want to look and zoom in, for example, on the nug so they can see all the little things. Um, you know, I would say that's more of the existing market, right? When you think of the new market, um, that really doesn't make sense. And, and also the, the reality is like, that's not the nug you're getting. I think, yeah. you know, in some ways that actually works against you. Um, you know, we've gotten pretty negative reviews and, and a pretty consistent theme in the old days was, well, the, the picture didn't match what I got. And it, you know, it's like, okay, when you go to McDonald's, the Big Mac doesn't match the, uh, the thing you get. I think we all know that that's, you know, a, a professional photo. So, um, so yeah, I think it's really just about, not really zooming in, I think, how the old market responded to, to flour, for example, whereas the new market, like we show the packaging. So one thing, for, um, another thing we did is we really wanted to make sure all flour was sold in, in jars rather than in plastic, uh, like a plastic Ziploc bag. Um, just again, really just for that new consumer, I think getting that first delivery of something when it comes in sort of a Ziploc bag, it's just like, you know, what is this? It doesn't align with other things that they buy. Um, it's very clear that, that cannabis is going in a brand-driven CPG kind of direction, just like all other industries, right? Just like tobacco, alcohol, um, caffeine, coffee. So, you know, it, it's just, it's really just pushing the brand to, okay, well, if you, even if you're flower, you need to come up with packaging that sets you apart. Um, and then making sure that that's showcased on, you know, during the shopping experience. Yeah, let's take it a little bit uh, further kind of in the, the consumer process here. Somebody talked about tracking. Maybe, maybe it was Hua. It seems to be one of the most divisive issues in delivery is whether we show customers where the driver is right now, mm -hmm. how much information we give them about where that car is. There's obviously some risks associated with that. 
Uh, let's start in the middle, maybe. <laughs> so we've decided Zach, to yeah, kind of uh, push away from that. What we're doing is we're showing a delivery time. We don't want to show exactly where our driver is. Essentially, that can lead to people kind of finding where your dispensary locations are, what may have you getting robbed. These are things we're not into. Yeah, we're, we're sort of in the middle. Um, we will not show exactly where the driver is. We'll show about where he is. We keep the times accurate, but it's just he's in the neighborhood for the most part. Got it. Um, yeah, we, we show an ETA, we don't show exact location. It's, it's a little bit about safety, but for us it was actually more about user experience. I think, um, you know, you think of yourself as an end user when you've ordered from a site like Postmates, for example, and you can see the driver kind of driving around in circles and it makes you angry. Um, or when you call an Uber and he's not coming in your direction. So sometimes it can actually work against you, um, especially if you have a multi-point delivery model um, where a driver might be doing multiple uh, deliveries on his way to you and you might not understand why he's going in the, the wrong direction. Um, but at the end of the day, the customer just wants to know, well, when is it going to arrive? Um, so, you know, making sure that if you're going to do ETAs, there's a sort of accurate countdown. I, I don't think the, the driver location's quite as necessary um, as it is in maybe ride sharing where you're trying to find, you know, you're trying to kind of match up where they are. If they're coming to your home, you just want to know when they're going to arrive. You don't really need to know what route they're taking. I'm glad you guys aren't doing that because I, I, I always felt like we have to show the car. It's like, no way. We, it's asking for trouble. So, who uh, I know I, that it's an option on your platform. Oh, yeah. Um, I know that the individual dispensaries <laughs> yeah. also can opt out of it. Sure. Um, I get that question pretty frequently, but why do you, differing than everybody else on the panel, why do you think it's important? I mean, I think that there's a fair amount of anxiety that happens when you're, you're ordering something and you're expecting it to come. As a father that has a kid, you're like, don't ring the doorbell. Like, you want to just make sure you're going to meet them on the sidewalk or bring them in if you want. Uh, but I think it's totally up to the, the operator how they feel about it. Um, you know, I think if it's a case of security, you should be doing way more checks way before the delivery go even goes out uh, if it's an issue. Um, the cool thing about Meadow is if there ever is an issue, we have a, a site-wide ban where any other operator that's using our system gets an alert knows what's going on. Um, so we've prevented a few things that have happened with either snatcher grabs or you know, things like that. But it's, it's ultimately up to the decision of the operator. And so for us, it's about optionality, giving them what they want to do and the experience that they want to create for them. Got it. So once a delivery driver gets there, they ring the doorbell or they call whatever the special instructions say, and they come to the door, Tell us a little bit about the standards around customer service and sort of what you set out for drivers or set out for the dispensaries drivers. Um, I mean, I've been things like, had things like been upsold to at the door. I've had sort of creepy experiences with drivers or maybe the wrong order. You know, what happens if they mess up the order? How much do you guys think about that far in advance? You know, when they get there, who they're talking to and how that experience goes. Um, start down at Jim again. Um, yeah, I mean, for us, it's, it's very important, right? We do view the entire end-to-end -end experience as part of the user experience. There's definitely challenges there. Um, you know, in our model, the, the drivers are not our employees. Um, in fact, in most cases, they're independent contractors of the dispensaries. And actually, employment law, uh, you can't be very specific um, in telling independent contractors how to do their job, or you could get sued. So it's, it's definitely a balance. Um, you know, we get reports all the time where drivers are aggressively asking for tips. 
um, things where, yeah, we, it's not really upselling because um, the platform really doesn't allow for that. But you know, certainly situations where, for example, someone puts in the instructions, please come to the door, and the person just sits in their car and sends text messages and refuses to come in. Um, so you know, we send that data down to the to the dispensaries, and you know, hopefully they're dealing with those drivers appropriately, but certainly a, a challenge when you're working with independent contractors. I think next year under the regulations, the, the drivers will actually have to be employees um, of the dispensaries. So you know, while that will be a painful and potentially expensive switch um, for the dispensaries, what it means for is more control. Um, you, know, you could actually have them wearing a t-shirt if you want. Right now you can't. That's wearing a uniform, um, which is something you can't do with independent contractors. So I think next year when, when uh, delivery personnel will be employees of the dispensary, you can get a lot better. Um, and also just employees, I think in general, um, you know, I have, I have friends who run other on-demand services that have done switch from independent contractors to employees. And yeah, when you're an employee, you have more pride in the company you work for as opposed to an independent contractor. So I think that will help elevate the, the last mile user experience as well. Got it. AJ? Yeah, I think that's, that's a strength and a weakness of the platform model. Uh, it's certainly a strength where you can have this giant fleet of independent contractors, and, and we can certainly have a discussion or argument that there is no such thing as independent contractors in cannabis, because um, that's what my labor attorney told me after the lawsuit. Um, we'll get to the lawsuit. That's a little. That was a different lawsuit. Uh, but but a weakness again is in controlling that customer experience. So companies like Ease, um, big companies. I have to hope, I would assume, that there's a lot of controls on that customer experience. So starting next year, we're beginning to roll out into new markets with partner dispensaries. This is giving me anxiety because I, uh, I could touch my drivers, and sometimes I have to, but I, can, I like being able to touch my drivers and have control over that customer experience. We give them consistent training. Um, it's one company, it's one voice. Now starting to bring on partner dispensaries, I'm afraid of losing some of that control and you know, calling a partner and saying, hey, what's going on with Joe? Which Joe? I, I don't know, I just got a complaint. So it's a strength and a weakness, and I don't know the best way yet. Essentially, uh, we do go ahead and train the, any driver that is essentially uh, partnered with one of our partner dispensaries. So essentially, they are trained in the way we want them to treat the customer. Um, they're trained in the different promotions we're offering at that specific time. So essentially, when they go ahead and meet with the customer, they are essentially going ahead and telling the customer exactly what we're offering at that time. The customer is able to apply that to the next order. Ends up being a five-star user experience. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the delivery services that we work with, um, a lot of them are employed already. They're not independent contractors. Um, so I think what's interesting is uh, through retention, through people reordering, they see the same person. Um, there's comfortability in that, knowing that uh, Sandra is coming uh, and she knows exactly what I want. She knows how to handle the cat, you know, if there's an issue. Um, you know what I mean? It's just like there's a level of... Uh, on awareness uh, about that patient, that trust, where you can't get that with a fleet of independent contractors where you're just all around. And you know, with medicine, there are a lot of patients that need specific advice and dosage, and they wanna take their time. As an employee, you know you're gonna get paid. You don't need to go and you know, wrap it through your orders. I think you could spend more time with the patient answer questions, do the things that I think uh, uh, comes with the intrinsic um, quality of, of, of the plant. Um, 
That's a great point. When we switched from independent to, to W2, we took a, a huge hit on the bottom line, mm -hmm. but the customer experience was so much better because yeah. now the guys didn't have to rush. Yeah. They could just chill out, mm -hmm. sometimes a little too long, but they could just relax and spend some time. That's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Got it. So sort of the final uh, part of that product feedback loop is reviews, right? So after they get it, after they try it, what do you do? And I'm going to start with Zach here because he's got some, some really strong uh, opinions on reviews. What do you do when you get a terrible review? Whether it's fair or not, inevitably that's going to happen. How do you deal with it? So we go ahead and contact the customer. We'll go ahead and send them a message at first. If they don't respond, we'll try and, try and go ahead and give them a call and find out exactly what happened. Um, granted, we feel like all of our experiences should be a five-star experience. So uh, we'll definitely take into account what the customer said, try and go ahead and give them some free things. So they'll go ahead and change the review and have a good positive experience and essentially order from us again. We've had um, some customers who've had negative experiences with us. And essentially, uh, we've gone ahead and done exactly what I said, and they became returning customers for us. Got it, and maybe you can speak to, we had a little bit of a spicy moment in the green room. I, I have to bring this up because it was too entertaining, where uh, there is uh, some thoughts around or some conjecture that some of the pan uh, services on this panel had been sort of giving you purpose negative reviews or? Oh, well, you know, I, I, I think in just the industry in general, um, some of our competitors up here, Ease in particular, has attacked numerous competitors of ours with Yelp uh, reviews, one-star reviews, and gone ahead and posted, let's say, um, some sort of promotion for themselves. And essentially, we've contacted Yelp about that, and Yelp has gone ahead and removed the reviews on all of our competitors' pages. Let's say Ease did this about one year ago in about 50 different dispensaries throughout Los Angeles. And that was one of our main locations. Um, Santa Monica, Culver City, Beverly Hills. It's a location we actually kill. Um, we're number one if you search Santa Monica marijuana delivery, whatever. Um, so essentially, they went ahead and did that to us. Long story short, we reported it to Yelp, and they went ahead and removed it in one second. It's getting fun, ladies and gentlemen. Jim, I'll give you a chance to reply to that. <laughs> Hey, uh, well, we, we can put a thread and we can put the proof. You've done it to many, many of our competitors. Many of our competitors. Okay. Yeah. No comment on that. Jim? I mean, I don't know what he's talking about, but. Uh, exactly. All right. Anybody, exactly. anybody else have any comments on reviews or <laughs> what, AJ? Any thoughts? What Zach is saying is prevalent in the industry. Yes. Um, Speedweed gets the occasional bad review. No question about it. But the vast majority of our one-star reviews are just—they're absolutely made up. We couldn't fight it. We couldn't stop it. Um, we couldn't find these customers that had, the, you know, the, your, your driver tried to rob me and a sexualist, all kinds of crazy stuff. We couldn't find these customers. Eventually, we just stopped using the platforms. We're not on Yelp. We don't use Weed Maps. None, none of those mapping sites. We don't need them, and it just creates headache. You can see Zach is fired up, and he was fired up in the green room saying that my I love that he's fired up, by the way. As a host, I would as yeah. well. But I told him I don't even have the staff to, to, to go out and do that, and I would never do that to a competitor because I hate that it was done to us. I hate it. Um, so we're going to have a dialogue about that, and he says there's evidence that my company did, did that, and I will find out, and we'll put a stop to it. We didn't do that. But, but I need to at least put him at ease. <clears throat> need to put him at... at put him at peace as a possible future partner. Jim got all the comment he needed well, there, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for us, like, definitely it's the same thing. Like, you know, Yelp is, we get, a, we get a lot of negative reviews on Yelp. Some of them fair, some of them unfair. I think, you know, being a, a little different than, than Speedweed, where we are a platform, um, where 
you know, as an end user, you are interacting with ease from your perspective, but the delivery is actually happening from a dispensary that you may or may not even know the name of that dispensary. So if you have a bad experience, you're coming to Yelp and you're going to give ease um, the bad review. So for example, you know, we get a lot of reviews for just bad product, right? Um, dry flour, leaky cartridges, you know, ultimately things where when, when people email in to support, we, we give them credit and make it right, but you know, we'll get a review that basically says, you know, Ease is, it has the worst flour. In fact, we don't have any flour, right? It's, you know, we work with dispensaries and, and yeah. you know, dispensaries are sourcing their own um, flour in some cases. So definitely a challenge when you're a platform because you are on the hook for everything that happens and, you know, you can't really control because of the regulations. You know, we're not a dispensary. We don't control the dispensaries um, and we can't really dictate certain things, but we're on the hook for everything. And your partners could go out and attack the other shops, and you maybe not even know. Yeah, I mean, like you, we basically kind of disengaged from Yelp. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's kind of, it's a lot of noise. It is. Don't you think you get your dispensaries to adhere to a certain standard, so to say? I mean, you can try, but at, at the end of the day, like, some, some flower is going to be bad, and some people are going to think that they got ripped off, and they're going to go to Yelp and complain yeah, about I've it. Yeah, I've seen a 2.7 uh, star review for you guys in San Francisco, 227 reviews. Yeah, as I said, we, we are, yeah, we're not a five-star review on Yelp uh, service. No, um, no we, not on Google either, I guess. No. Neither is Speedweed, neither is Speedweed. <laughs> Should have had that joint in the green room, yeah. I guess, but uh, that's all right. Uh, Jim, you set it up perfectly. Jim, uh, you set it up perfectly to move in sort of to the policy and regulation uh, discussion here. There's a lot we could talk about in terms of 64 and Prop D in LA, and I'm going to give AJ a chance to talk about uh, that no, as well. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I want to just talk about, you know, pending draft regulations, what you think is going to happen, and most importantly, what you're doing to influence that. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, think, I think California is doing, a, it seems like it's going in a decent direction, right? There's obviously a lot of different interests. Um, so, for example, the, the W-2 uh, issue we brought up where, you know, in the new regulations, every person who touched the plant has to be an employee of a licensee, right? That's being driven by labor unions. And, you know, right or wrong, it's, it's an interest that isn't necessarily aligned with the long-term um, success of the industry. I think it's going to be very difficult for cultivators, for example, to have W-2 employees for everybody that touches their plant. Um, even dispensaries, if you think seasonality, it's going to be very difficult for the larger dispensaries to be able to expand and contract their workforce. Um, so I think that's one where the, the state probably got it wrong, but that's the direction they're going in. Um, another one is hours. So if you look at the draft regs, um, cannabis businesses, including delivery, can operate between 6 a.m. and 9 p.m. Right? When we look at our data, that's not really when people are ordering. Right? People, people certainly have 6 a.m. Like, you know, we see the majority of our orders coming in between 7 and 10 p.m. Right? And, you know, a lot of these things, just like a lot of these regulations, the more, um, the more friction you put in, the more black market activity that will be continued to support. So, you know, unfortunately, if, those, if that doesn't change, if you want to order um, past 9 p.m., your only choice is illegal, right? Someone operating illegally, and, you know, that's very unfortunate. So I think there's a couple things in there that, that there's still some work to do, for okay. sure. And are you making that data available to oh, yeah. policymakers? You yes. Tell us as much as you can about that. Part. Yeah, so I mean, you know, like probably everyone here, we're active lobbyists um, in Sacramento and at the city level. And yeah, we're engaged with the, the BCC, particularly around ours. Um, that's probably one of the biggest ones that I think we're trying to push really hard. We provided all of our, you know, anonymized data around um, the times that people order. It's, you know, it's pretty clear that the 9 p.m. cutoff is going to be cutting off you know, 20 to 30% of, 
of what we see as, as active orders. So the question is, okay, are those people gonna order earlier um, or are they gonna order illegally? And I think it'll be a, a combination of both. Got it. Uh, so AJ, I think a lot of people in the room will know of Speedweed from the extensive legal uh, sort of troubles that you've had. Um, I'd love to kind of get your opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I have all the gray hair over here, but I think you should have more based on, on all of those. Um, but yeah, take us through a little bit about Prop D. I know you feel very passionate about it and sort of what happened there and then, uh, you know, what, what's the future of LA look like? I guess we can focus on, on LA specifically. Show of hands, have you heard of Prop D? Did you hear about Prop D before the Speedweed case or the Nest Drop case? Anyone here? That's not that many, okay. Um, so Prop D is a zoning rule that was passed a couple years ago. Very political rule. How controversial can I be? Uh, a very monopolistic rule. Let it all hang out. Prop D is unenforceable. It's unconstitutional. It's too broadly written. What it does is it pla places zoning rules not just on the shop, the, the, where the plant originates from, but in the vehicles themselves. So if you're ordering Chinese food, for example, Prop D would say that the vehicle that is, that's transporting the food needs to be zoned the same way as the store. It makes no sense. Um, it goes against our Constitution of California. You cannot uh, zone a home. You cannot zone a vehicle. You cannot prevent anyone from using the roads. You cannot zone a transaction that happens in someone's private residence. We have the right of our own, of our, <laughs> the freedom of our own home, our own premise. Uh, the city disagrees with me. The city says that they do have a right to ban deliveries. I say we don't. I say that Speedweed has never broken a law, never broken a rule, never ever in our existence have we done so. And when we found ourselves on the other side of a regulation like labor, we fixed it at great cost. Um, you can see me quoted in Inc. Magazine talking to a reporter saying that any shop making more than 10% margin is either cheating or lying. And she said, that's controversial. I said, it's not, it's just math. That's the margins, 10% or less. Uh, Speedweed is about a 6% net, six net, and that's the best that we're gonna do. It's not gonna get any better. And with the regulations that are coming, there's even more taxes that are coming down the road. Most delivery services, they're not W-2 employees, so that, that's another burden that needs to be, needs to be borne. And then the, uh, the technology, that burden needs to be borne. So it's a very difficult situation. So where did we go? We, the city has offered to settle the case for millions of dollars. We don't have that. We're not gonna do that. Uh, they have turned our lives upside down. My wife and I and my son, we have been followed by LAPD narcotics for months on end. Uh, if you read the, the lawsuit, you'll see that they found us doing such strange things as going to Jack in the Box at 6 p.m. or high school at pickup time for children. Um, there was one time where I was carrying a manila envelope that could have held a large amount of cash, but he couldn't see from his vantage point. Uh, that is in the case. Most of the case against us is from our media, from me talking about how we're a compliant service. So Speedbeat has been on the cover of the New York Times twice, on the cover of LA Times, GQ cover story, Inc. Magazine, Fortune, Fast Company, on and on. We were the darlings of the industry before this lawsuit. Uh, that completely devastated my business, my family, and the legitimate delivery market in, in the Los Angeles area. There is no legal delivery in LA City right now. So if you're ordering or you own a delivery service or you're using one, you are against the law, you are in full violation. And the city is taking it to the nth degree very recently saying if you're operating any cannabis business of any kind in the city limits of LA, you are in violation of property, whether you're an edibles manufacturer, extractor, no matter what you do. You are now a criminal. 
So we're fighting it, and we are going to have our day in, day in court in December? December, right? And we'll find out one way or the other. What's interesting is Measure M has come along, and Measure M grants the city council permission to repeal Proposition D because it was too broadly written, perhaps unconstitutional, and unenforceable. So it's going away anyway. Does that mean my lawsuit goes away? No. They do not want Speedweed operating within the city limits. I don't know why. I'm a nice guy. <laughs> I really am. Uh, there is a, a recent development that I can't talk too deeply about, but it goes like this. If AJ agrees to plead guilty to a property violation, then these other things can go away with other people and other businesses, having nothing to do with me. That makes no sense at all. If I plead guilty, then I cannot participate in this industry for three years. I'm just, I'm not gonna plead guilty to anything, not, not ever. So we're gonna take this fight right to City Hall, right to the city attorney, and we'll see how it goes, and hopefully it goes our way. So I mean, obviously, they're all competitors on this panel, but you're doing some of the work and fighting the fight that all of us benefit from. So I think that's why we're all clapping, and I, I could do that again for sure. Um, Zach, any uh, thoughts on Measure M? And, and well, the you know, um, essentially we got affected not nearly as severely as AJ, of course, but um, they did send us a letter. We had three locations in LA. We had South Bay, we had Downtown, we had West Side, and oh God, we were doing an enormous amount of business with our partner dispensaries. And this was about two years ago. They came in and they shut us down. We got a letter um, basically saying if we didn't shut down, we're gonna face the same sort of lawsuit that AJ faced. And um, essentially we closed our shop. And um, we don't operate in the city of Los Angeles anymore. Um, we were, it was actually kind of a good thing. We were forced to go into many other locations and heck, now we're, uh, we're about to be operating in over 80 different cities throughout California. Who you can take on LA if you want or just more broadly how you're preparing uh, for legal changes? Um, I mean, I think the, the big win was really having the definition of delivery or non-retail storefront in that trailer bill, right? So you know, I think, um, Six months ago, we had no idea whether uh, we'd even have this model to be talking about and discussing. Um, I think the, we already mentioned the W-2. Uh, one thing I think that's gonna be important is uh, non-retail storefronts will be zoned, we'll, just like a dispensary, you're gonna find a location, you're gonna, um, you know, whether industrial park or next to an existing dispensary, um, because in San Francisco, they're uh, proposing no limits on being next to a dispensary. You can be above it if you wanted to. Uh, all inventory in the car will be pre-assigned. Uh, so orders coming through will come, you know, more like a hub and spoke model. Uh, so I think that's gonna be a big change. Yeah, I mean, those are some things to, to watch out for as you look at your operating models and, and how you're, you're doing your inventory. And how involved are you on the sort of lobbying side or helping write those regulations? How big of a part of that is, is your strategy? Uh, I mean, it's, we don't have a lobbyist. You know, we, we do it all ourselves uh, by collecting feedback from our partners, working uh, with different trade organizations. If you're not part of a trade organization, I'd recommend joining them. Um, it, you know, power numbers, it really helps. Um, you know, I think oftentimes regulators and legislators don't know what's happening on the ground. And so I think coming at it from a point of education and onboarding uh, is the first step and telling them that, look, this isn't uh, you know, people opening up their coats and, hey, choose 
some product. It's these are people with livelihoods that are serving their community and their patients. And I think once regulators and legislators start getting that, getting that, um, that this was actually a job creator, um, and we look at like social equity programs, this is the the first step to really building a, a business. And, you know, running a brick and mortar costs millions of dollars. Like even just the permitting process is brutal, and going through a conditional use permit hearing is a roll of the dice. Um, so you know we're we're heavily involved because without partners we don't have a business either. Uh, so we try to create win-win situations for for everybody. Got it. So we have one more topic here, but just in the interest of time, if you have a question, start lining up uh, at the microphone here. We're going to go over 4:30. Sorry, whoever managing this stage, but it's too good. So we're going to keep going a little bit. Um, but the last topic here is about the future. Um, there are outrageous articles out there about how drones are going to do delivery and autonomous go, vehicles are going to do delivery. Uh, I have sort of more basic questions like, is Amazon going to do this? Are the normal logistics channels going to be a big player? Um, yeah, some other here's too, but let, let's start that way. Uh, how long is cannabis delivery, specifically cannabis delivery, and not like delivering anything else? We'll start with um, that. Yeah, I mean, I actually do think eventually cannabis would delivered be a drone, right? Eventually it would be delivered self-driving car. You know, is it going to be five years, 10 years, 20 years? That's, that's the question. But clearly, um, you know, technology is headed in that direction, not just cannabis, but all kinds of other products. Um, I also think Amazon will be there, right? If you're, if you're in retail anything today and you're not thinking about Amazon at least a little bit, um, you're kind of crazy because they are crushing almost every other industry. Now, I think in cannabis, we probably have a little bit of time, right? We probably have until some sort of national or federal legalization before a company like Amazon can think about this. Um, although Target actually had CBD on for a couple days and got pulled off. And I think, you know, I think that's what you'll see first, right? Is like, what, I think the first question is, when will Amazon sell CBD-only kind of hemp-derived products? That might be a couple years away, right? And that, that becomes kind of the, the gateway, so to speak. Um, but you know, moving in that direction. I mean, they already sell alcohol. Um, that probably gives them an additional challenge. A lot of states are sort of separating alcohol from, from cannabis. But um, yeah, I think there's no question. It's just a matter of when um, the big retailers do. Now, I think it's a very specialized product. Right now, that requires a lot of education. Um, I don't think if you just threw up a bunch of cannabis products on Amazon, it would do, it would do that well, um, at least in the bigger market, because I do think you need a, a little bit more of a specialized retailer um, to sell this right now. Follow-up question is, what's next for Ease? Where, where is Ease going? That's a lot of money you raised. So you gotta be, have some good ideas for it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely continuing expansion. So like, like everyone else here, we were operating in LA, pulled out um, when, when that happened. And um, you know, we're looking forward to Measure M coming in place and getting back into that market. Uh, Multi-state is also um, another thing we're looking at. So if you look at, you know, right now, like Colorado delivery is not allowed. Um, uh, Washington delivery is not allowed, so but Oregon and Nevada um, have sort of recreational delivery, so those are markets we're looking at as well. Got it. AJ? What, which question am I answering, Brandon? Good question. Um, yeah, basically future. just the future, the future. Uh, for Speedweed, I guess. Um, well, first, I, you know, I agree with Jim, everything. Is, the linchpin is, is the federal government. We need to get deregulated or, or, or at least get into declassified for the big companies to, to get on board. You know, drone deliveries are not gonna happen because the FAA regulates drones. So that's a federal agency, so they're more in violation. So I think we're a number of years away. Uh, for Speedweed, well, the rumors of Speedweed's demise have been grossly exaggerated. Um, but I will admit we were certainly a distressed asset 
an asset that we sold earlier this year to a pre-IPO company for, uh, I, I can't say the number, but a, but a healthy number. So Speedweed is, is now a fully acquired business. So we found our exit strategy and we, we took it. Um, was it the, the golden parachute I thought I was building? It certainly wasn't, but we have set ourselves up with this new organization that perhaps it can be by trading publicly. Got it. Yeah. Certainly, uh, we, we feel drones will be a key essential um, to the future of the industry. Uh, when, will, when will that happen? We're not sure, of course, it's up to the feds. Um, we don't think anything's going to happen until it becomes federally legal. Got it. Hua, what's next? Exit strategy? Any way you want to you tackle that? Uh, okay. So, I don't think drones are coming for a while, guys. <laughs> Just letting you know. Um, I think uh, for us, I mean, we're really focused on the compliance. I think as probably a lot of people sitting in this room, we're waiting for those regs to drop, right? We're gonna have like a regs drop party. Um, so sometime in November, maybe, yeah. sometime, maybe December, maybe next year. Uh, so you know, our goal is to, to make sure that we read through those regs and we keep building a product that's compliant. Um, and all the way from you know the patient getting a delivery to the in-store piece, to the distributor, to the manufacturer, to the farmer. Uh, all those pieces need to connect uh, in order for this thing to work. And all the regs are mainly just theory, right? Uh, we really have to actually interpret it and put the, the muscle behind it and the exigence to, to execute. So, and give feedback, because there's gonna be iterations of these laws, um, and be present, so, and not take that for granted. Got it, let's go to questions. Uh, yeah, go ahead. So my question is about, um, you know, in the delivery model, you kind of take away the personal uh, experience, right? And so I'm curious how you balance uh, educating uh, and onboarding a new user base um, and like what uh, each of you guys are uh, doing in terms of, you know, utilizing the platform for, you know, the last mile, so to speak, and how that translates toward onboarding new users by, <clears throat> by educating them about uh, cannabis as a, as a wellness and lifestyle product. Well, I think I touched this uh, fairly uh, in, in my previous conversation. Um, basically, we go ahead and we train our drivers, and uh, we let them know about our current promotions. Um, that way, the end user is able to go ahead and find another promotion that will essentially work for them for their next order. How do you balance that, though, with trying to be... Um, I mean, Bo, who are you also said that, like, you know, you have the same person showing up. There's a comfort level to that, right? Certainly. But, to, but, but on, you know, Jim's side... Like when you're averaging deliveries, you know, ten every ten seconds. Yeah. How do you how do you balance the uh, the business side of it with the educational? So side of it? we'll generally put a note section on each client, and essentially a, a great example is a client called up maybe about three weeks ago, went ahead and told us they had some foot problems. Well, one of our uh, dispensaries went ahead and saw those notes, touched base with the customer, and um, because of that, uh, the customer ended up leaving a five star view, basically letting us know, man, these people they really care. They let us know all about you know. Um, uh, uh, these different things that could help or help my foot, and essentially uh, they were extremely helpful. They came right to the door. What may have you? So we think that note section is extremely um, integral to going ahead and providing a great customer experience for the next order. Anybody else? Yeah, I mean, I think the the key is just to have multiple open uh, channels of communication, right? So um, once you sign up for an account, you get some educational material, uh, blog post, or what have you. You have email addresses, you have chat, SMS, phone calls. Um, and I think it's about working with people that really understand the medicine 
and are versatile in that. Are you guys proactive about that in terms of like and, pushing and the, education as yeah, a... Yeah, on the content creation side, uh, you know, we've done a fair amount. Um, but, you know, by working with dispensaries and delivery services that pride themselves on product selection and knowing what they have, you know, being available to the patient, that's, that's the key. Uh, it's, it comes down to people uh, at, at this stage. You know, no robot's going to be like, hey, you know, there's a bot. Tell me, it's just not happening yet. The data's not there. Uh, there's too many use cases for different conditions that you need consultation. Jason, question for you. What do you think about a new Vice show, like Delivery Wars, and like we could have all these guys just arguing about reviews and stuff? Like, I, I mean, I'm, I've, I've been posting on Yelp the entire time, but sitting there in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> Zing! Um, Jim, sorry, your con you, did you have comments on that? Oh, oh I'm say, sorry. Well, I was going to say, you know, for us, we actually have um, a little bit unique challenge because of our scale on this one. So, you know, I agree. I would love to have uh, a personalized kind of human connection for every one of our orders. It's just simply not possible um, at our scale. So this is probably one of the areas where I think our service um, probably lacks and, and really something, you know, you ask, you know, what are we going to kind of spending some of the venture capital money we raised on? Certainly figuring out scalable ways to do product education is one of those. So we're looking at things like um, product review, you know, professional product review videos, obviously you know, the standard educational content. But we really have to think about how do you do this at scale, right? How do you do this at Amazon scale where you just cannot, you, know, you just can't have a, per a personal interaction with every order. So you know, like everything, we're kind of looking at different technologies um, to help us there. But it, it, you, know, you don't have that personal connection, you're right, um, in a lot of these deliveries. Well, yeah, sometimes media uh, is a great way to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, video, videos is, is definitely something we're going to be focused on next year. Cool. Next question. Hello. So I was just wondering, do, um, do any of you have open job positions? <laughs> Tons. <laughs> yeah, there's a partner section on our website. You can definitely check it out. And do you ever have problems finding good quality like candidates and I'd finding the right people? I'd say we get right about people? five to six people applying every day. It's pretty insane. And they're good, all good quality? Well, or? you know, some are better than others, what may I have. <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you. Any, oh, here we go. Yes. Uh, Jim, this question would go more to you. Just one thing you said earlier caught my attention about what's coming. And uh, strictly from an individual standpoint, acknowledging the whole wellness aspect, I would think uh, a lot of it is going to be about uh, the connoisseur viewpoint. Somebody that's come a long way and just doesn't want to be bothered going in and uh, the education point with the delivery of somebody is there, I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, somebody like me would call and say, uh, I would like this, uh, I like a certain kind of wine, what would you suggest uh, and how would you educate that person uh, you know, from like the bro, you ain't going nowhere species to uh, relaxed or this or that. I'm curious how far that might go in a delivery concept. Yeah, so I mean, as I said, so, you know, things like video reviews, we're also looking at potentially um, doing that, that sort of having that, you know, bud tender experience, but over, yeah. the, over the phone, right. um, you know, the, or, or chat, things like that. It's, just, it's all about scale, right? We just, it's, there's no possible way we could do a one-to-one -one matching. Um, so we'll need to be able to have the people that really need that um, level of interaction to kind of reveal themselves right. to us. Um, like if we were just to put up a phone number on our website, it would just, you know, it'd get immediately 
overrun. Um, so that, that's a lot of it is we wanted, we're definitely gonna do these things. You know, when I think about, um, well, why, do, why would people still actually go to a dispensary, right? Especially people, um, you know, who are newer to the market. And really it's because of the bud tender, right? Because you can go there with being a little unsure, um, but talk to someone who's, you know, sort of a trusted authority, um, and they can give you product recommendations, right? So I think for a lot of people it comes that, down to that. Here's, here's what I'm looking, you know, here's what I'm looking to accomplish and here are product recommendations. So, and I do think it, the human touch is really important and it's definitely something we're gonna be working on. It's just to do it at scale. Um, you know, this not, doesn't require like a football field full of um, people, you know, call center basically, is, is that's the challenge. And no, yeah, we're not, I agree, uh, AI is really exciting, but we're not there yet where robots are gonna be giving you um, recommendations. Um, so yeah, we're kind of be looking at the, the personal touch just in a scalable way. Thank you. Yep, go ahead. Hi. Um, I run the magazine Cannabis Now, uh, national magazine, and one of the things that a lot of people on social media have been teasing us about um, is they're waiting for like an Uber of cannabis delivery, but more specifically, do you guys have any visions for either partnership with an entity like Uber or Lyft if they were open to it, and or um, people who don't have access to uh, to get to a dispensary, potentially picking them up, taking to them to a dispensary, letting them buy their product and driving them home, specifically maybe for the elder community. Without even my knowledge, we were actually already on Postmates. They put us on there. Um, so uh, essentially, if someone wants to, um, they can essentially place an order on Postmates. I, I, I had no clue up until recently. So yeah, I mean, we're open to everything and anything. Well, I mean, with, with the W-2 issue we talked about um, previously, basically Uber Postmates uh, won't be able to do it next year because the drivers have to be employees of the dispensary. You can't have independent contractors, um, third parties doing delivery, right? So that's a trade-off um, there. So yeah, the, the delivery drivers, as we were saying, have to be employees of the dispensary. So that really does shut out working with um, any third parties like that. Now I do think the, the driving to the dispensary is a really good idea. I've never, I've never heard that one before. And um, yeah, that's a great idea of, of someone where uh, a, a car can come and actually bring you to the dispensary. Um, so yeah. Green Rush does it. Do they? Yeah. They do. So I, I haven't heard that one, but that, that seems like a good idea. Good stuff. Last question here. Hi, um, I'm with Zona Medical and we do scaled um, medical guidance that's condition specific. And I'm just wondering from you guys, you know, how much demand you see um, just kind of in terms of the content and UX and conversions, which is obviously a priority, how much demand there is for folks to actually address the effect that's going to have on their condition or is it really just a about kind of a multitude of products um, and sorting through the products and doing that. Is there any, what's the demand for that and how are you addressing it and um, how do you see it going forward? From a medical standpoint, I guess it's separating medical and recreational in some way, but also just effect. Um, our dispatchers and drivers are trained, you know, we have a doctor come in and, and talk to them about what the products are and how they can uh, help with different ailments and different illnesses. But every conversation that our customer service person has ends with, but everybody's different. You have to find your own path, go slow, go low, and figure it out for yourself. Because it, it treats everybody different. So sativa makes me tired, and indica, you know, it amps me up. Everybody's wired differently. So it's, it, it's hard. It's, it's, we're, we're organisms. We're, we're, we're all unique snowflakes. Even you. <laughs> 
I would think this is a question we get almost every day. Uh, what medication is used for this? What, how can I use this? What may have you? We can't answer any of these questions because we're not doctors. Um, so it is kind of a gray area in the industry right now. We hope in the future uh, to maybe find some sort of loophole by maybe bringing on an on-site doctor that can talk to some specific patients. But it just seems like kind of a stretch at this point. So we're looking for some sort of laws that's going to change and essentially allow for some sort of recommendation by some sort of, uh, you know, um, caregiver, so to say, rather than from a doctor. Great. I look forward to helping you guys find that. We have it. Okay. Actual final question. Go ahead. I'm just curious to what extent you guys use and value the data that you have about your customers. Um, so it sounds like everybody has an idea, of course, that there's all these different um, personas of, of customers that you know, are different from what it used to be from just the one stereotypical stoner persona. So to what extent are you using the data that you have to determine what these different boundaries are, what, you know, who these people are, and sort of when they like to order, what they like to order, what they're trying to treat, that sort of a thing? We're all in the data business up yeah, here. Of course. Yeah, data is like everything. I'm a data scientist. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Well, thanks, everybody, for being here. I want to thank all the panelists individually.